You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Greetings, Angry Insomniacs. This is Eddie Huntley, Fallen Territory. What the hell are you doing out here, man? I don't know. I woke up and I found myself out here looking like this. But someone beat you up. Someone dragged you out there. I think I slept, walked, sleepwalked. You sleepwalk? Apparently. When was the last time you slept, Eddie? Been long. I don't always remember what I do. I sleepwalk. He's one restless soul. He can't even keep quiet in his sleep. Sometimes I'll wake up and he's wandered off. The guy's got problems. Things are happening in his life. Now, you know, it could be a figment of his imagination. I wanted to ask if there were any uh, audience members listening right now who had any experience with sleepwalking or sleepwalkers. Was the guy who died, was he a friend of yours? It was a mugging, okay? You got to stop beating yourself up trying to figure this out. Why do I feel guilty for shit? Why does everyone blame me? Oh, you think I randomly picked you to blame? I saw no. whatever the hell it is what you were doing. What the hell's going on, Eddie? I was running. I was running. These people, you know, they're 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 kicking against the universe. Right. They're, they're punching up. They're fighting yeah, yeah. battles against Goliath that they yeah. are not going to win. They're not. It's not a secret, it's just not your fucking business. A landlady and her daughter who was pregnant burned up in a fire that they said he started. Why didn't you tell me? I'm sorry, but it upset you. It does upset me. Awesome. I was running, I was running with wolves and I knew I was. find solace Hey folks, it's your friend Mike White coming at you with a special episode. On this episode, I am talking with Daniel Kremer. He has been on this show quite a few times, mostly as a co-host, but this time we're talking to him as a director of his new film, Overwhelm the Sky. We're also joined by the lead of Overwhelm the Sky, Alexander Hero, who plays Edgar Huntley. Now let's go ahead and enjoy this interview. Daniel Kremer, last time we spoke, well, gosh, it was a while ago, and we were talking about somebody else's movie, but now we're talking about one of your films, and I'm very curious how Overwhelm the Sky came to be. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, uh, 
used to on your show, uh, you asking, uh, what, when was the first time you saw so-and-so and and what did you think of it? We really got going on this, uh, November, 2016. Uh, it was kind of in a wall. We, I was, I was, uh, looking to do another film entirely and that got actually pushed off. It got to the point where my, where my, um, longtime cinematographer, Aaron Hollander, said, well, well, why don't we just do something? You know, uh, he's like, you've been talking about doing the one weekend feature film for a long time. So why don't we kind of begin something? And I was like, well, okay. I mean, and, and you know, it was a weird time just in general. My, my mentor had, uh, to whom the film is, is dedicated, had, had just passed away. And, uh, Trump was elected, of course. And, and, uh, a job that I was, uh, going to be depending on, uh, editing at, uh, American Zoetrope had been pushed off, you know, and I wasn't sure when that was going to get going. So I was, I was kind of bugging out a bit on a number of fronts. So, uh, I, I kind of began to look in my log of ideas kind of to see if we could do anything on a, on a no budget or a low budget. Um, and, uh, and then I saw this item, this kind of line item in my, in my kind of index of ideas that was just the, you know, the name of the book, which my brother had told me about years back. Because he's a, you know, he he got his master's in uh, antebellum American literature, and he told me that that this this novel in particular would make a really great uh, movie, and I read it then, and I was like, well, this is, I don't know how much this novel lends it lends itself to uh, to a movie, but there are, there are a couple of really cool, you know, quote unquote set pieces in it that I, I that w- w- would be kind of fun to stage. So uh, and then I told Aaron, my my cameraman, that oh yeah, we're going to do Edgar Huntley, or, or you know and He's like, oh my god, you're kidding me! I was like, well, uh, why? He's like, no, no, because I, I was looking at that book on my shelf, thinking that I was gonna write uh, my own adaptation of it. So we were cosmically linked, and then we just kind of got going, never dreaming that it would be this this huge, you know, three hour epic that it <laughs> that it turned out to be. So did you make it in a one weekend? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been crazy. That would have been madness, uh, nigh impossible. But, uh, no, we, we shot over the, sp- well, on and off, really, uh, Alex, I guess, over the span of, uh, I want to say like two years on and off. Yeah. Alex is nodding here, but, uh, yeah, we're trying to think. Uh, it was like on and off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Weekends and, for about two years. Yeah. Weekends for two years. And then, you know, kind of, uh, whichever day that we could, uh, snag in the, in the meantime. And then we, the last part of it was the, uh, was the, I mean, all the desert stuff. I'd been putting that off for a while. Because I had to find the the right um, location for that on the cheap, and uh, I actually wrote it and, and aimed you know the, the entire movie towards it, you know, kind of thinking that oh, I'm in California, we we have desert all around us in California, not knowing that uh, that really the nearest desert to uh, uh, San Francisco was probably about a seven hour drive or so, but yeah, that was the last thing that we shot. So Alexander Hero, tell me a little bit about you. How did you get into the acting business? You know, when I was about 17 years old, I decided I wanted to be an actor. And unfortunately, it took me about another 17 years to give myself permission to really give myself over to the craft and to go after it. I had gotten through some health struggles and um, just sort of uh, about 2006 is when I really um, started to go gangbusters for um, I was doing mostly stage work at that time and cut my teeth on a lot of community theater and then some professional theater. And then in about 2010, I really started to focus on on camera and realized that's really what I want to do. So I've been on this path, this journey now for uh, more than 10 years. And um, 
I, the thing that kind of keeps me waking up every day to go to my day job and want to get excited about what I can do on the weekends creatively. Um, it's, it's like my lifeblood. It's, I'm not attached to anyone and no, no kids or anything like that. And so this is, this is kind of my baby. And this film in particular is, um, goes down in history as, as one of the most memorable, delightful experiences that I've ever had working on set. The way that it's unfolded is just miraculous and it's, um, I'm, I'm just over, over the moon about it and I'm very, very excited for our screening. Overwhelmed. Yeah, overwhelmed. <laughs> overwhelmed, uh, with, uh, with, with, with love and, and nurturing about the whole prospect and the people involved and how it, how it evolved, like Dan just said, sort of on a, a, a whim, but then it cosmically was linked between the two of them. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of my snapshot story of my acting and, uh, I uh, I live in the Bay Area, but I'm hoping to get representation in other markets and um, you know keep pushing the dream as far as I can go. But it's a very robust but very tight knit um, kind of film theater creative uh, loop here in the in the Bay Area. I I moved out here uh, about five years ago because of my connection to uh, Rob Nielsen, who's you know kind of uh, you know, I guess you'd say an American indie film legend. And, uh, we, uh, and I, I began working with him and a lot of his people out here. And, uh, um, and, you know, we had made, uh, you know, prior to this, I had made two other features, uh, with actors also from that network of people. And, uh, one of my actors on those, uh, on those previous two films, uh, whose name is, uh, Penny Werner, uh, who's a, who's a really, really great person and a, and a, uh, amazing actress kept on telling me and my entire, um, we kind of have a, a filmmaking, uh, collective, uh, called Bricolage Films, but, um, Penny was, uh, telling me, telling all of us, uh, and, and me in particular, uh, to like, oh, you, you really need to talk to Alex Hero. Alex Hero is really, you know, he wants to work and he's great and, you know, you'll have a great time working with him. And then, uh, so what, what while we were, and I had met Alex, and Alex was, you know, seemed like he was, you know, game for anything I wanted to do. Ultimately, when we were trying to put together this kind of ragtag film that just kind of, uh, you know, exploded into this into this bigger project, uh, I, I kind of turned to Alex and I was like, "Hey, do you want to work with me on this?" And uh, you know, you could be the the title character of the book. You know, you could be, uh, you know, Edgar Huntley. And uh, yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, man, right on." And you know, he, he just basically showed up uh, on on the first day. No one really knew much what they were doing, uh, per se. It was just kind of, uh, finding how we were going to do this, you know, trying, trying to find our path for how we were going to, uh, carve this out. And, uh, and then ultimately, I mean, it, it really became a way of life for two years. It's just, you know, it, it became a question of like, what are, okay, what are we shooting this weekend now? Right. What, what part of this, of this crazy story are we going to do this weekend? And then, and then I'd, I'd try to explain like, we're going to do the following stuff this weekend, but next weekend we're going to have so and so on, and we're going to and you know it was like really just hanging on the on the uh, on the wavelength of like you know oh, what what's next and and you know, how are we going to finally finish this thing? That's kind of how I met Alex, and that's how the thing kind of went. You said how you were familiar with Charles Brockton Brown, and I'm curious, Alex, how you found out about him because I have to admit I am not familiar with this author at all. Well, I'm not, I was not familiar with his author at all, but, um, I, I bought the, purchased the book as soon as I, um, became interested in the film because I wanted to read, read it for myself. And it's quite a intense read. It's, it's, um, you know, the, the time period that it was written, it is very dense. 
I actually also accompanying my my reading of the book, I read some literary criticism of it just to kind of orient myself and get a little better acquainted with some of the themes in it. And um, so I enjoyed the process, but it was uh, it was really my my attachment to Dan and his faith in his movie making skills that uh, kind of kept me going. I, I the book itself is you know almost unshootable in some regards um but uh i i enigmatic i, I would yeah. say highly really really highly enigmatic is the word i would use but it's sorry to interrupt oh yeah no and one thing that i took away from the book however was that i really identified with the way that edgar huntley felt towards other characters and how he his mindset um that kind of resonated with me and um I had recently lost my father to cancer um, in 2016, so I was kind of in a almost not a similar head state, but I had some some um, ripple ripple effect of uh, of things going on in my life, and I felt sufficiently um, prepared to try to take on the task of uh, mounting this movie and and um, giving a voice to to this character and um, and doing it the best that I could and. And I I'm also also need to say that I'm one of those people that loves being on set. So anytime we could shoot on the weekends, I, that was for me was just heaven. That was a, a a break from my my humdrum day job and that kind of thing. So I was always ready to go. Yeah, and it's it's uh, I, I guess key to mention in that context that uh, uh, Alex's character in the movie is kind of uh, mourning the you know the death of another character uh, in in his own way. So. Uh, I guess you were basically able to use the, you know, the death of your of your father as kind of an emotional launching pad from that, right? Yeah. Daniel, how did you approach the adaptation of this work? <laughs> um, you, uh, well, I'm turning to Alex now because you and Aaron didn't know what the hell I was doing for for a number of months. While you know, like like we were shooting kind of things that that were, if not ancillary to the book, had nothing to do with the original text. <laughs> You know, the whole scene with the with, with the woman dancing was just like I just kind of wanted to do you know a scene where you know this predatory uh, you know kind of black widow woman character who is you know who kind of is uh, uh, just coming on way too strong uh, and then you know having a whole sequence around that and and then of course Alex and Aaron who were the key uh, my, my key collaborators I, when I was doing this I think you guys were like. I don't. I don't quite. I'm not quite sure what this has to do with the book. I think Alex, you you kept the faith, but I was like, no, no, no. I, I know what we're doing. Trust me. He's going to leave this apartment, and then, and then, the, you know, the movie's going to kick into high gear, and then we're going to do the the whole center set piece. But I mean, he's going to leave her apartment, and then he's going to be in, back in the park, and then, you know, the you know the shit's going to hit the fan, and and in, in, in a big in a big way. So you know, it was just kind of. And then I think after a while, the broad design of it to you and Aaron, to to Alex and Aaron, were were very. Uh, became a kind of apparent uh, uh, more and more as time went on but i was just kind of following my uh, kind of id you know id state in a way because i was just like i'm just want to you know because i guess partly fl- uh, flared by the fact that my two previous films if they had if they had gotten any good uh, reaction or or reviews at all uh, it was really a uh, um, i kind of felt that they that they didn't rise to the occasion of uh, um Finding the right audience and the, the kind of finding that the, their Zen states. So by the time that that this movie comes along, I was like, "The hell of it, uh, black and white." Okay, we're gonna do black and white. We're gonna do all these weird ass scenes. We're gonna do okay. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. Oh, oh, it's now it's now it's like three hours long. Okay, now I, I guess it's gonna have to be three hours long. 
and you know to hell with it i don't care you know i'm making this one for me after the after the previous two and then you know you know this is the one that's done better than than the previous two and probably the best that any of my films have done so it, you know this kind of goes to show you that the the kind of passionate uh you know directorial id state can actually uh can actually uh spur you know a lot of uh a lot, you know I, I guess the best reaction from people if you're if you mean it enough you know okay so did you shoot this on film I'm glad you asked, actually, uh, because uh, I, I was hoping that you, you might have thought that. But no, no, we, we, we actually just had two DSLRs. But we're actually getting a film. We're, we're uh, striking a 35-millimeter uh, print uh, next month. Okay, so uh, there are a couple bits in, in the dream sequences where I, uh, working in a film lab uh, as an archivist and, and as, a, as a scanner of, uh, of uh, a wide array uh, and uh, of collections, I have a, a really incredible access to uh to some eight millimeter and a super eight and a, and 16 that i was able to somewhat integrate uh into uh into those other you know, those other parts of the film that uh where eddie's either dreaming or, or if he's uh if he has a vision of, of whatnot uh, i was able to kind of interweave those in a in a more um, interstitial kind of way but yeah it's, it's all video though uh like 90 98 percent Alex, how was Daniel to uh, work with as a director? I really enjoyed the experience. And again, I'm somebody that thrives being on set. It was an adventure. You know, I never really wasn't quite sure what, what we were going to shoot on the weekends, but I looked forward to it as an adventure with the three of us, sometimes traipsing around the streets of San Francisco, sometimes in the wee, wee hours of the morning, and getting some of these beautiful, amazing um, cinematographic shots and then we had an amazing cast of characters and um, ensemble actors to work with from this collective that Dan referenced earlier. I feel like they really rose to the occasion and make this film what it is. But Dan is very patient. He's very giving. He has a very firm idea of what he wants, but um, he lets you arrive at that place in a more natural way than maybe some other directors would, where it's a little bit more pressure oriented and, and top down kind of thing. And um, I felt comfortable. I felt satisfied. I felt happy and um, grounded and, and, and eager to, to do whatever that Dan wanted to try. It was just a overall, a delightful experience, probably my favorite uh, filmmaking experience that I've had thus far in my career. And Aaron and the, the simpatico between the two of them is, is a, thing to behold because they can almost complete each other's sentences and you really feel like you're working with a group that is is on par and uh, even keeled and really steering the ship with all eyes forward and knowing what they're doing and you feel very comfortable in in this uh collective in this group of uh of this filmmaking endeavor i, I guess it's a i guess it's really a, a welcome to san francisco kind of movie because we have a lot of i guess oddball characters and oddball actors in, in, a, <laughs> in a big way in the film. And, uh, I mean, and yeah, I mean the, the adventure, like we were, we were shooting in the tenderloin, which is a, a not, not, you know, uh, entirely a hundred percent safe part of the, of town, like in the, and like three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, I think we were, we were like a little three person band doing a lot of those night shots where you're just walking around. And, uh, you know, so there was a bit of craziness and a bit of, you know, uh, uh, healthy and, and, uh, both un, uh, healthy and, uh, unhealthy uh insanity i guess uh but uh, uh and that and 
I, yeah, the, I guess the, you know, the third aspect of that is that Aaron and I have been working together for 12 years. Uh, on uh, we've done, I mean, I've I've made seven features. He's shot five or six of them. Uh, so we we have a shorthand. We actually moved out here together from uh, from the East Coast. Uh, we uh, shared our U-Haul, uh, kind of just to be part of this uh, of this of this community and the, and the network out here. Yeah, it's it's uh, really really spurred some. Uh, Yes, and probably my best work out here has been made here. Danny, who do you think some of your uh, biggest influences were making this one? Alex is kind of smiling because on set we would uh, we would all, all often reference uh, uh, there was a thing that uh, Sidney Fury says on on set all the time, uh, which we were constantly referencing. You know, he you know, says, I, I, "I like it. It's arty." <laughs> so we were we were often referencing. So there, there was you know there was often some sense of like you know uh, occasionally using kind of Ipcris fileish kind of uh, shots to kind of uh, you know communicate the, the idea of Eddie entrapped in the various uh, spaces um, you know very, and kind of uh, entrapping him up until the point where he arrives in the desert and it's wide open and that's also kind of a, a trap for him in a, in a way and then a, and then ultimately liberating so playing with 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 space in a way that uh, was a definite uh, nod to uh, to how how influenced i've been by by his films but uh, i mean also in terms of uh, um, i mean I've, i'm a big fan of, of jacques rivette as well uh and uh you know a lot of his uh particularly a film that he made called uh um, Secret Defense, uh, which uh, very few people have seen with it, with Sandrine Bonaire, uh, where the film is uh, it's a very slow burn kind of like a thriller. Uh, that's also about most of his movies are about three hours in length, but uh, yeah, also also long. But it kind of really uh, you're it's a character piece. I mean, I guess I guess the you know the the thing I really liked about that particular film was that the first hour was uh, um, was just getting into Sandrine Bonaire's uh, head uh, and then and then part two is just basically you know her getting kind of inaugurated into the mystery that uh, that's engulfing her you know her life and, and her family uh, and uh, and this kind of journey up to up, up to, up to her uh, her family's uh, uh, estate and what happens there and then so it kind of unfolds in a very unusual way for for a more genre uh, oriented piece, but uh, I, I so I, I liked. Uh, I'm a big, I'm very much influenced by Jacques Rivette. I guess individual films. I think Eyes Wide Shut. I realized I saw on a print uh, at at the Castro Theater like a year or two ago. In the midst of doing this film, and then looking at the cut footage and realizing, oh my god, I'm constantly. I'm like, I didn't even know uh, how uh, subconsciously uh, um, this was playing into. Uh, into what I'm doing on this movie, and what did what did uh, someone call? I forget who said it was. This movie's like low meets after hours. Yeah, I think that was uh, a friend of ours called it that. But uh, I mean, I think in terms of this after hours, I mean, you know, the the various barrage of nutcases that uh, Dunn meets uh, in his night out. Uh, I mean, and and you know, I think I think particularly in the in the scene with the dancing woman with the, with Tiziana Perinati, there was very much a kind of uh, after hoursy type of thing going on. But I guess individual films, but but particularly, uh, I mean, just in terms of the use of of a staging and uh, space. I mean, you know, Sidney uh, <laughs> Fury has always been a major influence on how I how I choose to look at a scene and how how I actually on the ground working on set uh, tend to tend to 
have things go down. Uh, actors will kind of walk into the set and they'll kind of land in a certain place and uh, of their own making, of their own, it's their subconscious of their own brain kind of telling them where where they feel you know comfortable where they should wind up and then you kind of uh, um, rig it or you kind of uh, maneuver it so that using the camera to kind of uh, uh, in in this case entrap uh, the the Eddie character but I I, you know kind of a lot of tricks up my sleeve just from watching a lot of uh, a lot of films that I that I've admired uh, and you know all throughout the course of the making of, of this film. When I'm sure having limited time and limited budget probably also helps shape how things proceed when you're shooting. I think I'm, I'm pretty close with uh, Henry Jaglom, and, and in his in, in his edit room, he has a uh, a quote by Orson Welles kind of plastered onto his uh, under his uh, his bulletin board, and it says the the enemy of art is the absence of limitations. Uh, so you know when you have a problem on a on a larger budgeted. Uh, film, what happens is you, you know, you, you basically have the privilege of throwing money at it, uh, if you have it. If you can't do that, then you have to solve issues in a much more creative way and, uh, you bring, you kind of are more inclined to bring on the, uh, the combined experience of everyone who, who's had the, who's, who's coming from their own place as, as, uh, as a filmmaker or actor. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like, okay, between all of us, we have maybe about, a hundred years of uh, filmmaking experience. Let's let's put our uh, our thinking caps on and try to come up with uh, with with the, with the most interesting way of uh, of doing this. You know, I mean, I'm I'm always trying to make sure that that a scene doesn't feel perfunctory. You know, it doesn't. You know, you can't kind of put your finger on it. It's just you know, it's not easy to nail down immediately. Uh, so keeping people on edge, and then you know, if you can bring your your collaborators into that into the process of playing that, you know, I don't want to call it a game, but it is kind of a game in a way. Uh, if you can kind of bring them into that, uh, that gambit, um, that, I think you, you wind up with the best process. And I, I'm not sure how much you can do that, um, on money films. I think there's a lot of, there's a, there are always bean counters. There's always time. There's always pressure. Uh, are we really, uh, are we really milking all this, uh, this for all it's worth? Uh, so I, you know, I think that it's actually quite freeing to do it, you know, this way, as opposed to having to worry about, uh, you know, our person looking at the watch and they're like, well, we should, you know, we should do this now. It's, it's, you know, it's time. I guess we were able to do our, our due diligence more. Alex, what were some of the biggest challenges for you on this shoot? You know, I really wanted to give, um, an impression of, of Eddie as being a dynamic person. And so I felt like over the course of his journey in this movie, he is, he, he embodies a lot of different types of characters, you know, and sometimes he's a little bit irascible. Other times he's a little bit, um, more, um, strung out and tight and, and nervous and, and uh, uptight about things. And my biggest challenge was trying to, assemble uh, some diversity in my performances, but then also have a cohesiveness that um, that, that bled through the entire uh, filmmaking process. And so I, I wanted to make sure that um, the Eddie you saw at the beginning of the movie was, was still somebody you could identify at the end of the movie. And a lot of that was just putting my faith in, um, in what Dan um, had prescribed for us to, for what we were going to shoot in the upcoming days to give myself over to that and, and also to, to try things, you know, to, uh, to experiment because we, 
we did have the luxury some days of, of, of having some time. And, and so if we didn't get the right, uh, the right shot, we could, we could give it, give it another go. And, um, just the, the patience to, to really dig into, sink my teeth into the character and, and, um, give something that I thought was authentic and honest, ultimately, hopefully engaging to the audience. Related to that last question, it was, it, that was also kind of a process of, of discovery because I use a lot of improv and, uh, um, in the first, in the first hour of the edit, what I love is when people tell me that, uh, they felt that Eddie was the, that was his friend's murderer in the first hour because, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to put your, you know, you're, you're trying to clear, uh, I think the audience is trying to f- figure him out for the first hour. Uh, and, uh, there are all these kind of intimations and visual and otherwise that, uh, Eddie might be a little off in the first hour. So that was, so that type of thing, you know, in editing, you know, the way that I work in terms of improv moments is kind of present themselves a bit, uh, you know, to you in a, in a way that, uh, that can't be written. And, uh, and, you know, obviously with, uh, with a lot of improv based, uh, filmmaking, it can be very indulgent and it can be, it can just kind of run on and on and it can be very, uh, you know, self-indulgent and, and hard to watch. Uh, you know, I think we've, we've all seen that, that occur in, in various, uh, films, uh, of the, uh, maybe of the more mumblecore, you know, variety or whatnot. But, uh, um, I guess kind of trying, I mean, the challenge was always trying to extract the, the essence of the film, of the, of the scene. Um, what's, you know, asking, kind of asking yourself, what's the purpose? Am I going to be stringing the audience on, you know, to want to see the next scene? Uh, am I intriguing them enough? And trying to find the proper rhythm as well is, is, uh, always a tricky thing. And, you know, when I'm editing, I'm constantly sending off rough cuts to people and asking them very, very specific, uh, questions about, you know, what do you think of this? Does this work? If I were to cut it off here, would you still kind of understand that, that XYZ thing? It's a long kind of workshop process that mostly involves me in my kind of home environment. Uh, with my with my uh, cats uh, next to me, uh, trying trying to figure out how the how the rhythm of the of the film will will unspool and and whether or not people will want to keep watching. And for for a movie that totals three hours in length, and when people hear it's a three hour improv based movie, that they I, I can foresee them why they would want to run to the hills and uh, never come out. But uh, there, there was always a, a sense that we uh, that I was uh, very exacting and very. Uh, or I hope I, I, I have a feeling it was. I, I, if, if you know, if I read the, you know, the reviews, uh, I'm led to believe that it that I guess that that aspect of it works. But uh, you're always kind of teetering on the. It's, it's funny. We were at, I was at a party the other night with uh, with a lot of people, members of our group. We were talking about kind of the. It's kind of an alchemy in trying to find the right balance to uh, a shot. How much. How much of a shot to leave up before you cut away, uh, and you know you never quite know how these things are working subconsciously on an audience, and uh, what the what kind of the sum total gestalt is, and it's a very tricky thing. And for me, it takes a while. I'm 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 in editing often on, on each movie for a long, long time before I I tend to surface with a uh, with a cut that I'm willing to show uh, more of an audience. I'm very anal in, in editing. That's uh, it's. it's uh, and that and I, I tend to be very monomaniacal. I tend to, I tend to be uh, very monkish uh, or monastic. And I think perhaps that can maybe turn, turn some people in my life off occasionally. But uh, I, I kind of have to turn everything off to get in the in the zone. You made the point, Daniel, um, 
though, when you were editing this project, that um, it, it 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 cut rather well. Like, it cut very well. Yeah. yeah. You you felt like it. Um, it's the best cut. It's it, the easiest cutting I've done was on this film. Because uh, normally I'm I'm there's always at least one scene that I'm banging my head up against the wall saying, oh, "What the hell? What the hell? How to do this? How to do this?" I, I sound like the character from uh, Goodfellas, Eddie. Eddie. <laughs> I'm like constantly trying to, um, so, uh, on, on every film, I was like, there's always at least, at least one scene that, where that happens on this one. I didn't, there was, there was none of that really. It does it was all kind of like butter in a way, even though I, I, I still had to do some exacting things to kind of figure if people would digest whatever scene the way that I wanted them to. And then of course you came back for like a couple little insert shots that, that 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 bit where you had to say like a line and you know it's out of context for you so i was just like i had it in my head but i'm sure you didn't know you know why that line and why you know but that was that's that's kind of the way it goes though so how does music play a role in this film after you're done putting it together or are you using music as you're doing the editing process i always use a temp track so on on this one it was uh um uh, I think I retained a little bit of the of the glass harp compositions from Man on the Swing, which is a film, of course, probably not known for its music, but uh, a lot of like you know Lalo Schifrin's. And oh, oh, by the way, that was another film that was highly influential on on Overwhelm the Sky was uh, Man on the Swing, which he, which you actually did an episode about, I know, uh, with Scott Defoya. A very good episode, by the way. Uh, people listening should uh, check it out. But but yeah, I think uh, there was some glass harp stuff. That because uh, I have the the soundtrack from Men on the Swing, a uh, little from Black Sunday, not the Bava, but the John Frankenheimer, and I had I I actually went into it with some original compositions because our composer who uh, teaches at the at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music uh, had kind of uh, when I knew that uh, I was bringing him on because he had composed uh, the music for a film that I edited by Christopher Coppola, who is, uh, if you want to know who, which Coppola that is, that's Nick Cage's brother. When I met him on that film, and I knew that I was bringing him on to do the, the music, uh, we kind of talked about, okay, you need to do an overture for the roadshow you know, presentation. And of course, he's like a kid in a candy store, because like, oh shit, overture, three minute prelude, you know, where, where people are just in the theater listening to the music without him. So that was like, he was like a, you know, happy as a lark but uh, um so i mean I, I i did enter into it with a number of themes that he had given me you know and then and then kind of giving him the original temp track to be like i want something kind of like this and then uh and then i would actually sit down with him and my iphone uh and uh because i have like a little keyboard app on there where you just kind of hit the notes on the keyboard with your with your finger and kind of uh demonstrate like okay uh let's try some half step tritones and I was kind of showing him, like, okay, see how you can do this there and everything. And, and he, he kind of, uh, you know, so he, I think we have a very good uh, working uh, chemistry where I come from, uh, uh, I think, a bit more of a, of a musical background than a lot of the a lot of the collaborators he's had in film in the past. So it's like I, we can kind of sit down, we can play on my little iPhone keyboard and, you know, tr- try to figure out the... Uh, fundamentals of uh of, of how you know how the how a scene is going to be scored uh it's always fun you know to do and then of course you hear it for the first time and uh with a with a with a full-on orchestra or ensemble and it's uh, i think most uh, directors tend to get really excited when they first hear the you know the music performed by uh, musicians who were who were doing it 
Alex, what's it like for you the first time that you actually get to see the whole movie projected for the first time? I'm nervous because I'm very critical of my work, and um, I can see parts where I maybe am playing a very uh, truthful, honest performance, and then other parts maybe where I am not quite as in touch with what the scene demanded. But I felt like on this film, there was more of the former, and I felt like I... Of the latter, you mean. Of the latter, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was, there was, there were more, there were more, uh, experiences watching myself on camera where I thought, you know, I think I, I, I captured that emotion or that moment fairly well. And it was exciting. And I gotta say, um, in reference to the music, the music and the cinematography, just being the character on screen for a lot of this movie and then having those other elements surrounding you it's a surreal experience but in a, in a profoundly uh, humbling and just beautiful beautiful way you felt like you're part of something that is suddenly is taken on its own life and is is much grander and, and more majestic than i could have ever imagined um a movie that we essentially started on in dan's backyard on a weekend in, literally on, in, in my backyard uh, in, in november of the 2016 so it's to see it come full circle to this this uh, very regal uh, almost experience. I I'm uh, I'm just still I can't get over it. I, I I look forward to screening it in New York City coming up this weekend just because I enjoy new little moments that I maybe had forgotten or, or rediscover. And um, it's a, it's a beautiful journey. I love it. Yeah, I've had to watch this movie a lot of times uh, at this point, and uh, being a three-hour movie, it's just, uh, every time I do an export, I have, a, I have to deal with a, a, a particular audio glitch that I have to that I can fix. Uh, but I, that means I have to watch, do a full QC watch every time I, I do a new export. So I've seen this movie a lot of times, and uh, but it's always new when you're watching it with other people with, with an audience. Uh, it always seems fresh or fresher. You know, and in, in a in a large regard, I'm, I'm I don't think I'm ever going to watch this alone and for the rest of my life because enough of it. But uh, uh, in terms of just like you know trying to do the, the the tech work and the post work and 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 between all of that, it's just like oh god. And then uh, and then but 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 watching it with an audience though is uh, always uh, uh, it's a revelation. I, I'm I'm really uh, quite fascinated by, by where people laugh, uh, where people where you feel a kind of a a bound up tension in the room, uh, and uh, but but mainly when people laugh because that's that's really really fascinating because uh, it often changes from audience to audience I've I've, I've seen so far, uh, which is really really fascinating and that's uh, I don't know that's one for Freud or whatever I don't know like what what makes a, a one one joke humorous to one audience so then you know it's you you could hear a pin drop uh, on the and then at another point, of it, but 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 then they they go ahead and laugh at another part of the movie on purpose, and it's just like, oh, well, that's 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 interesting. Yeah, audiences are weird. Audiences are very strange, uh, you know. And I I uh, I like them. Uh, <laughs> I hope they like me. <laughs> but uh, it's always like, oh wow, you guys reacted to that, you know, uh, audibly. But you, I didn't hear anything about. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. You mentioned the roadshow version, and I'm curious. Can you tell me a little bit more about the different versions of the film? You know, the roadshow version is just uh, maybe about five to six minutes longer, mainly because uh, there is a, an opening uh, overture, uh, kind of a musical prelude, uh, which opens up the entire film. 
And uh, normally at, at, the, at the roadshow engagements, people get printed uh, programs, uh, eight, an eight-page printed souvenir program, which is pretty cool because it has a little history of uh, roadshow engagements and what roadshow means exactly and what the why they were so prevalent back in the for epic movies back in, in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, and as well, as you know, there's also uh, writings by Alex and... Uh, Aaron Hollander, the you know the cameraman, and myself, who were the three three principal collaborators. There's a little bio of uh, of the author of the novel in there. You know, there's some you know there's some goodies in there. So uh, that's kind of really uh, it's just a lot of fun, I think. To you know that that the whole aspect of the roadshow uh, that we've seen so far is just you know people going you know it's like going to a live show, which is what the idea was way back when. Is that it's going to a live show? You kind of get your programs. You you're kind of waiting for the the curtain to open or whatever, and uh, and then the overture comes up, and you just kind of has to have to let the music in this opening overture kind of wash over you, and then you kind of go into it uh, with a kind of a cloak on, uh, where where you kind of know what the you're you kind of put in a mood in a way. It's kind of and then you know you're 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 in a you know you're you're basically locked into it, I think, because the. The music, I think, helps to set a, a state of mind for people. Then, and then the movie gets going, and then you know, intermission comes up and, and everything. And uh, when we first showed the roadshow version, my, uh, Aaron and I were actually going to go and hide out because we didn't want people going out to the lobby and you know see us. And like, and then you know, of course, they're kind of thinking that we're going to walk over. It's like, so, what do you guys think so far? Good? Is, it, is it good? So we we kind of I we we kind you know we was like, okay, we're going to hide out during the intermission. So the you know the time was approaching, and then we got up, and then Aaron's like, "Okay, okay, come on, <laughs> let's go." It's like, I just want to see the word intermission on the screen, because and then like people begin to rise, because I think I'm going to get a little chill watching that. Uh, so I did, and then I I, paid, I like sprinted out, and I got a beer next to the to, in the bar next to the theater, and then uh, the intract day comes up, and then the, that's a pre a musical prelude to part two, and just like the whole ceremony of it is really fun to see come off. It's, it's going to be fun to see it uh, happen in New York. Uh, it's, it's also going to Pittsburgh, which is my my hometown. I'm, I was born and raised there. Uh, and uh, seeing, you know, kind of bringing the roadshow version back to the people in my hometown. I'm in my apartment now with Alex, and there are the, we have I have a pile of uh, programs for the film uh, over there that I'm going to try to pack in my in my suitcase. Also, the the novelty of it is that we are a low budget or no budget movie, pretty much, and we're trying to do something highly ambitious that that most uh like you know basically it's only ever been done by very mega budgeted kind of films so that whole aspect is also kind of fun because i'm like i'm packing the friggin you know programs in my suitcase and like <laughs> and i'm shipping i'm shipping a box of programs back to my parents in pittsburgh so it's like and i'm, I'm gonna have to text my mom bring the programs to the theater but like the ragtag idea uh, or like the, the the kind of the ragtag version of the roadshow is uh, also something that gives me a lot of uh, a lot of glee. I have to say, in, in its own way, I like the fact that it's so shambling yet it's so ambitious. Tell me a little bit more about those screenings, and if people are interested, where they can find out more about the screenings, because I'm sure that you're going to be showing this in more than just New York and Pittsburgh, or at least I'm hoping that you will. Yeah, so New York uh, is this coming weekend. It's at the the Film Noir Cinema, which is a theater in Brooklyn, fairly new playing there for three nights uh and uh uh then i go i i'm I'm only there for the first night i go to pittsburgh and that's going to be playing as part of the of the three rivers film festival which uh it's it's the 37th annual i guess i just learned recently that it's the longest 
running festival in in the state of Pennsylvania. I would have thought Philly, but uh, it was actually George Romero's Night Riders premiered at the first uh, uh, fest in Pittsburgh way back in '81 or '82. So uh, you know that's kind of fun to play there because you know uh, George Romero is kind of the the main film uh, icon of my of my hometown and. My dad actually drove a, a, a limo when he was first married to my mom, and he drove uh, George Romero, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but he, he's told me about that a little bit. But uh, we're going to be moving on to Chicago. Uh, we're going to be doing it in L.A. Uh, we're going to be doing it in Baltimore. Uh, and uh, looking for uh, venues for for future engagements as well. Chicago's upcoming, but... Uh, um, I'll, I'll know about that uh, quite soon, and hopefully we can show the uh, the print of it uh, at the at the these future engagements, uh, the you know the film print, which is going to be really quite amazing to see that this uh, you know <laughs> blown up to thirty five, um, and done the right way in terms of uh, the roadshow uh, uh, aspect of it, uh, which is, you know, should be seen on film. But uh, yeah, in the process of booking booking places and booking, which. Uh, it's really the first time I, I've done this. I mean, I've normally I've, I've leaned on a film festival ecosystem for my films. So that, um, there was the sense on this one uh, is that because it was three hours, because it was black and white, I'm probably going to have to work a lot harder just to get it shown anywhere. The extra amount of hard work that I've done has paid off in a big regard because it's gotten far more uh, press and far more you know uh, critics uh, who've, who've had eyes on it. Uh, and uh, just just far more attention in general. So uh, I guess it was a big lesson to me. I think I've learned more about uh, film circulation uh, on on this movie than than any any of my previous ones combined. I think kind of trial by fire in a way, but I used a lot of uh, a lot of you know favors, a lot of contacts, and it's uh, it's been doing quite well. And uh, Gerald Peary, who is a real mensch, to give me a. Uh, a blurb uh, recently. I liked his confab of of uh, of influences. It's yeah. You know, we, we had the one friend who said it's after hours meets blow up. Uh, Jerry said it's blow up meets uh, underground man meets uh, Lynch. David Lynch meets Daniel West's Miss, Miss Lonely Hearts. So I thought it was a pretty interesting cocktail. The whole thing about working harder to uh, to make sure that it gets seen, and I think as a result the. The buzz has been such that it's uh, at this point it's uh, quite easy to uh, to come to uh, programmers and uh, and exhibitors with 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 everything that we've gotten on it, and uh, they're often more than willing to give the the roadshow thing a shot because it's so unusual and it's so uh, uh, I guess ballsy in a way. But you know, I guess I don't know if that's yeah. What do you think? Uh, I would totally agree. Uh, yeah. I feel like it's um, unique in that regard, and um, there's not a lot of other people who are. Uh, aiming for this neo-epic noir uh, micro-budget feature <laughs> film, which um, is et cetera, et cetera, yeah, et cetera, yeah. <laughs> is uh, you know, a, a, fee- a five-course meal, as someone said, I think. So, yeah, that's John Cordy. Alex, are you going to be touring with the film as well? I am. I'm heading out to New York um, this weekend, so I look forward to um, meeting some of the people who are going to come out for the, the screenings both nights. And... Um, uh, and then I hope to make the Chicago and the LA and, um, possibly some of the other dates as well. But, um, I, I, um, enjoy being at the talkbacks. Uh, we have a Q and a afterwards and I, um, sometimes, um, 
just like to share my experience of what it was like meeting Dan and Aaron and, and falling headfirst, diving headfirst, that is, into this process and uh, telling people how remarkable it's it's come from our initial seed of an idea to where it is now. It is kind of fun to talk about the kismet meant to be nature of the film to audiences because there's always like, oh, wow, you, how did how did you know about it, Aaron? You know, so, yeah, because I think when my brother met my my friend Aaron years ago and my my brother to him mentioned uh, you know, the novel and uh, Aaron had knew about it. And he's like, well, how do you know about it? And it's like, oh, I just found it in a bookshop one day. So it was all it just all kind of came together by a lot by chance and a lot by, just, you know, kismet. It was meant to be in many regards. So for people who are looking for more information, should they go to your Confluence film blog or should they go to the uh, the Facebook fan page? Well, both is good. Uh, there, and so there's Confluence, there's there's the there's the fan page on Facebook, which is updated the most uh, frequently, and then uh, the uh, the website of the of, of our filmmaking collective is uh, bricolagefilms.com, B-R-I-C-O-L-A-G-E-F-I-L-M-S. Dot com and uh, you'll, you can find information about Overwhelm uh, there as well as about other films that our uh, that our core group is uh, are, are are currently working on. We have uh, a lot of features in the works, including what we have, uh, how many we've made collectively, but it's a lot. I think at this point, uh, there's more info there, and if you just you know kind of Google the the title, there's a lot uh, lot there as well. A lot of ways to find out about it, and uh, IMDb is kept actually also pretty up to date. So. That's, there's there's also info on there about in terms of other reading material, pe- what people have written about the film, and in terms of both essays and and reviews are up there, uh, engagements and all that all that jazz. Once again, the name of the film is Overwhelm the Sky. Thank you so much, Daniel and Alex, for taking the time to talk to me tonight. This was fantastic. Mike, thank you. It's uh, it's always a pleasure uh, being on the show, and uh, you know I think actually it was it was I was just thinking um, I do believe that. That the night that we recorded the episode on, uh, I think it might have been Chilly Scenes of Winter, we had just gotten done shooting a key scene from uh, this movie that day. So uh, it's kind of funny to watch it come full circle with uh, being back on, on the show to talk about this film. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it.
Every street, you always get me on the telephone. I'll even come to your home if you're ever alone. 